Well, what's up, everybody? This is Rafael Garcia once again here for another edition of the MMA Ratings Podcast. Let's see, it is October 12th, and I believe it has been two weeks since we've done a show. Um, yeah, the last one was the 5th, actually, so it's just been a week. However, no, wait, that's not right. It's been a little bit longer than that. Uh, the last one was on the 28th. So yeah, it's definitely been a little bit longer than that. It's been a long few weeks. I was in I was actually in Orlando when Hurricane Matthew hit. So yeah, that was fun. But I am back in DC back here for more work and bringing you more news and conversation about mixed martial arts. So, as always, you know, Shawan Humes will be joining us today. He's probably running a few minutes behind schedule. Um, but once he gets here, I'm sure he will have a lot to say about all of the news that has broken today. Um, we're going to be talking UFC 204 as well. We're definitely going to be talking about Ronda Rousey and Amanda Nunes, her big return to the sport today. Um, and we're also going to be talking about Greg Hardy, who um, I think is a pretty interesting conversation point, but that's neither here nor there. Speak of the devil, Shawan Humes has joined us. How are you doing there, sir? Good. How about yourself? Doing good, man. Doing good. We can see your camera and all that stuff, so not sure if you, if you mean to do that, but... Um, yeah, man, I definitely appreciate you joining me tonight. As always, you know, we got a lot to talk about. There there are no fights this weekend, so there's that. But that's not going to stop us from having a great conversation about the sport of mixed martial arts, right? Nope, never, nothing stops us. So originally we were going to start with um, UFC 204. We were going to talk about that. But before we do, I would rather us jump right into... This news about Ronda Rousey, um, big news today. It was announced by Dana White on Colin Cowherd's show, The Herd, that Rousey is coming back, and she's coming back at UFC 207. Uh, and she's going to be facing Amanda Nunes for the women's bantamweight title. Uh, Shawan, let's go ahead and hear your first thoughts when you saw that news break earlier today. Uh, I, I thought it was – I don't know that it's uh... – as big a money fight as it could have been had it been Misha Tate. If Misha wouldn't have taken that fight with Nunez and fought and held on to the belt for Rousey, for Misha Tate, Ronda Rousey three would have been a would have been a huge selling point because they're both they're both the biggest names in the division and they have an actual history have have an actual history of fights against each other. And then having the dynamic of Tate being the champion and Rousey being the challenger, that just would have had so many storylines. It would have been just an incredible, incredible pay-per-view draw for the UFC. It, it, I mean, we're talking. I mean, Rousey bring Rousey can draw with anybody, but her, her and Tate have a have a magnetism and a drama and a, and a history that just I think would have broke some records just just based off their actual history. But um, the Nunes fight's a good fight. I, I thought that um, the Nunes is probably actually a good person for Rousey to come back against. Outside of her punching power, I just feel like it's a it's a matchup that that favors Rousey. Um, and to be, to be honest, I'm just kind of, I'm just, I'm happy she's back. Not because I'm the biggest Rousey fan, but her being on a card gets more eyes on the card and helps the, 
process process for women's MMA and MMA as a whole, her being on and her being back involved in the spotlight. I mean, regardless if you like her or not or like her attitude or how she handled losing, the fact of the matter is her being on a card gets people paid. Her being on a card gets people seen. Her being on a card helps move the sport forward one way or another. So I, I was just excited to see that she was back and um, very interested for this matchup. So, yeah, you mentioned a couple of uh, in- interesting points there. So first, let's talk about the matchup, and then we're going to talk about um, just some other points that I've heard uh, since that fight was announced. So matchup-wise, um, you mentioned that you think that this is a fight that Rousey should be able to win um, outside of Nunez's power. So I think the very – like, I, I, I can agree with you there. I think the very first couple of, of minutes of this fight are very important because if – you know, Rousey tends to use, like, a rushing type of style. We've seen it in the past where she tries to close the distance immediately, and normally it works. You know, the one time it didn't was when she ran into somebody that can move and who could strike with her. Nunez isn't that type of striker. She's more of a one-hitter quitter where she tries to put people out um, immediately. But talk to me about what type of danger Rousey's putting herself in if she uses that same type of strategy and tactic when she's facing someone who does have that fight-stopping power for, like, the first three to four minutes in a fight. Like, is she really putting herself in danger? Do you expect her to do something different? Well, first of all, I, I apologize. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I want to I actually make a good analysis of this, though. This might be a little wordy, but I want to kind of address the matchup, like, on a real – technical and strategical level mm-hmm. a lot of people are concerned about the biggest concern i have for rousey is she hasn't fought in a while and the last time she fought she was knocked out and psychologically she might be re- still having residual feelings from that but as far as the physical thing even though home knocked out rousey and home's not a big puncher anybody who watches combat sports boxing mma kickboxing the thing that should impress you about rousey and the thing that's actually technically embarrassing as far as skill set is embarrassing for Rousey, but actually physically very impressive is the fact that Rousey went almost two full rounds running full speed at someone and having them and running into their power shots full speed. Most people can't take someone's clean power shots, kicks, or punches if they're standing at range, not coming in. So for you to be coming in full speed with your defense down and running into power shots and you to actually go two whole rounds doing that, is actually very impressive. Most people don't have a recovery or a physical durability strong enough for them to withstand that kind of punishment that they're doing to themselves. So in that regards, Ronda's chin is actually being underrated. Ronda Rousey can actually take a shot and recover from a shot very well. And the biggest concern is whether psychologically she recovers when she has a girl who's a big hitter and who's super aggressive and who's known as a finisher in MMA circles. My actual... My actual complaint with this, or my argument, is that as big a puncher as Nunes seems to be, or is, re- repu- is excuse me, is advertised as, I've seen people take her shots and take lots of them. I've seen Cat Zingano get pounded on and opened up on and kneed and punched and then come back and beat Nunes. I've seen Valentina Shmenkov, um, who's actually an undersized bantamweight, take everything that Nunes has to offer, survive, and then in the third round, put the pressure on Nunes, start beating Nunes up on the feet and taking Nunes down left and right. So as big a puncher and as aggressive as Nunes is, the fact of the matter is her, she, she's not like an Anthony Johnson type puncher. No matter who she touches, no matter how she hits them, they're just going to go out. I haven't seen that from Nunes. I see a person who hits very hard, 
but a lot of it is that she commits fully to her shots and that she's super aggressive in her shots and also that the people at Bantamweight they don't have the defense or the striking awareness to kind of roll with shots or to slip shots or to block shots or kick them off a lot of her success is based off of the shortcomings of the girls in the division so that threat she poses to Ronda doesn't seem as steep to me, especially given the fact that Ronda can actually take a punch. I mean, Ronda's taken, taken shots her whole career because her defense has never been really good. It's all been based on her closing that distance and getting her hands on you, throwing you to the ground and beating you up. Which, and this brings me to my second point. Nunes is, one of Nunes' best weapons is her right hand. That's her more powerful striking hand. And even though a lot of people make fun of Edmund for how he trained Ronda and his boxing is really crappy, and I'm not going to argue with any of that. The thing that Edmund did was he taught Rousey a system of striking that, play, that played to her strengths, which is her athletic explosiveness, her upper body strength, and her judo training. What his striking was built to do was to create transitional opportunities for Ronda to get her hands on you. The biggest problem with a lot of grapplers, even judoka who come in MMA who haven't had extensive striking training, is they don't have any any ability, they don't have a way to effectively close the distance, either leading or off of, off of strikes from their opponents. A lot of them get stuck at the end and they end up running into punches. The reason Ronda never had that problem is because Edmund taught her how to either use a jab to jab her way in to get into that clinch, or he, he taught her that when somebody throws an overhand right or that wide right hook, he taught her how to step into it, either smother it or step inside the arc of it to create that tie-up that allows her to get that trip or that throw. And if you've seen enough of her fight, a girl will throw a big right hand. They might hit her once. Second time, she's in on them, sweeping the, pulling the leg out from underneath them, pinning them out and arm barring them. In the case of uh, Amanda, I forgot one girl she fought. I can't remember her name, but the girl threw her right hand. Rousey got inside of it, landed a shot on her, landed a knee on her, flipped her over, and pounded her out. Ronda Rousey is very good. Ronda Rousey is actually the Uh, you cut away there for a second, Sean. Can you hear me? All right, so I'm going to give him a second to come back. I'm sure his audio will come back in a second. But he was making some good points as to why he thinks Rousey will take that win. Um, as always, you know, he breaks things down in a way that just about anyone can understand. So it's pretty interesting to see if some of the things that he talks about will come uh will come to light. How will these first couple of minutes play out? Because I'm not gonna lie, I am um I'm interested to see what kind of style both of these women what kind of strategy, excuse me, both of these women use um in opening rounds of the fight. As always, you know, I've I've talked often about Nunez's gas tank and her inability to fight beyond the second round. I mean, multiple people have pointed that out. And that's why a lot of people thought uh Misha Tate was gonna win, at least myself did. So it'll be interesting to see what these first couple of um, of Hello? minutes look like. Yeah, there you go, Sean. You back? Yeah, I'm sorry about that. Now go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. So um, you were talking about the the stylistic matchup. Yeah. So the biggest thing about it is Ronda is the best in MMA at transitioning off of a right hand and creating an opportunity for a takedown or a tie up. And a right hand is one of the bi biggest weapons that Nunes has in her arsenal. It's her hardest shot, and it's one she throws quite a bit on the ground and on the feet. So what Nunes likes to do is chop you up with leg kicks and then try to get, get you to be over eager and land a big shot, often with that right hand, often off of, off of the leg kicks. But Ronda's very good at transitioning off of that. There's been multiple fights where somebody's thrown the right hand. They might have clipped their ones, 
but she gets in on him, pins him to the cage, takes him down. Says she'll get inside the arc of it, tie you up, hit you with knees, short punches, pound you out, or go for an arm bar. So a lot of what Nunes is going to want to do plays right into the wheelhouse of Ronda Rousey because Ronda's still nothing, no worse than number two as far as athleticism, explosiveness, side strength, and power in the division, if not number one. And a lot of, a lot of the things that she likes to do is close that distance, tie you up, beat you up, take you down, and submit you. My question for a lot of people is, as dynamic as Nunes is, do you really feel that Nunes has shown the defensive awareness and the footwork and the counters and the angles to keep someone who's aggressively coming after her off of her? Yes, she has a power, but for her to use that power, you have to sit and plant. You have to plant your feet and throw with power. You can't throw with power and dance around and run if that's not your nature. And Nunes isn't a hard person to get to or to get in the, get in to cut the area off on so you can land punches on her or you can get your hands on her. Everybody's gotten their hands on her. A lot of them haven't had the athleticism. They haven't been superior athletes, much less superior grapplers to get her to the ground. But I've seen lots of people get in position to take her down. I've seen lots of people get their hands on her and tie her up. But usually she's much too big, much too strong, much too explosive. She's not going to manhandle Ronda Rousey. We already know that. She's not going to throw, she's not going to take Ronda Rousey and hold her down. We already know that. So then it becomes an issue of can Ronda get to her before Nunes goes to work on the feet. And Nunes is a person who likes to come to you. She's not a person who likes to dance around and cut angles and fake and faint. And let's just say Nunes decides to go that route. If that's not how you usually fight, if you haven't conditioned yourself for that, do that for four or five rounds, it's going to tire you out worse than if you fought, the, the, you fought your normal fight because it's so foreign to you. And using all those feints and cuts and, and jab steps and fake shots, that takes up energy that you, you're not usually used to using, which essentially puts her on defensive against Ronda Rousey because then she's tired and she's been using a game plan that's not really all effective with her because she doesn't know how to do it that well. So while I think she has a chance because she's a good grappler, she's very dynamic, she's aggressive, and she's a finisher, nine times out of ten, the kind of girl with the skills and the physical tool set that Nunes has is the kind of girl that Ronda, Ronda eats for lunch. That's the kind of girl she's beat up her entire career. Girls who want to come knock her out, girls who want to put a beating on her, girls who want to finish her. Those are the girls who give her the opportunities to do the things she wants to do. The problem she had with home was home was actually creating distance. Home was trying to get away. Home was letting Rhonda come to her and, and punch her out. And home was never going to break away from that. At no point did home just rush in for the finish because Rhonda was hurt. She just kept picking away, picking away, picking away, turning her, picking away, picking away, walking her into shots, picking away, picking away, picking away. Does Nunes have that discipline? I don't know. I, I haven't seen it from her. And can Nunes maintain that for five rounds? I don't know. I haven't seen that out of her. I haven't seen Nunes fight hard for two rounds in a row. So if she doesn't get Ronda out of there in that, in that first or second minute, third minute, that's a problem for her. And if Ronda takes her down and gets on top of her, that's a real big problem for her because I've never seen Nunes show anything defensively or counter off of her back ever. All her work's been done from on top. All her damage has been done from on the feet. What happens when she gets put on her back by a person who's just as big, just as strong, and actually hits comparably harder as hard as she does because Ronda Rousey can hit. Ronda Rousey has terrible striking technique and she regularly, she drops Sarah McMahon. She stopped her with strikes. She stopped Betch Correa, knocked her flat on her face with strikes. She knocked another girl out, pounded her out with strikes. Ronda Rousey can hit. Her delivery is terrible, but athletically, she's such a, dom she's such a dominant athlete, she can knock out almost anybody she puts her hands on. So 
there's just as much chance that Nunes is going to get cracked as Ronda, unless Ronda psychologically hasn't recovered and isn't willing to take some to get some, because she's going to have to take some abuse to get to the spot she's she's best in. But I can't yeah. act like there's not actual, real, legitimate matchup problems for Nunes going into this fight, because there are. We already know the problems that Ronda Rousey has, but has Nunes shown any of the skills to say that she's going to cause those problems for Rousey? I haven't seen them. Now you brought up something very interesting a couple of times too um within your uh within your points there. You mentioned that, you know, um <clears throat> Rousey's mental state. We often talk about this. We don't talk about it that often when it comes to mixed martial mixed mixed martial artists. We don't mention it that much. Um the only way I've really seen us talk about this, and when I say us, I mean individuals who talk about the sport on a consistent basis, is we talk about fighters who converse openly converse about retiring and oftentimes that's the idea of you know maybe it is time for this individual to step away from the sport because their heart may not totally be in it anymore if they're already thinking about their time away from the sport what are they going to do when their career is over x y and z and we're going to talk about that later on when we talk about dan henderson and all the guys from ufc 204 but rousey went a step further when she was talking about suicidal thoughts after her fight with home I don't know. I, this hasn't really been talked about. I don't know if it's been, I, we haven't had an opportunity to cover it since, but that's a step well above and beyond and beyond just simple a fighter talking about retirement. Talk to me about what do you think about those statements when you mention her psychological state coming into this fight with a woman who has the ability to put her out. I mean, Misha Tate said it best um, a couple of days ago where she said that, you know, Rousey cannot come back half-assed against Amanda Nunes because it's going to get bad and it's going to get bad quick. So when I think back to Holmes' statement on Ellen when she said that she was thinking about committing suicide and having Travis Brown's kids is the only thing that kept her you know, wanting to stay alive, I get concerned, and it's good that she took this time off, but I get concerned about what her mental state will be stepping into the cage in um, on December 30th. I, I tend to think, I, I was a little concerned when I saw that because it's, it makes you wonder, like, to be, I'll just, I'll be honest. I don't think Ronda Rousey ever really loved MMA. I think it was an, a viable alternative to make money for her. And she figured, based on her accomplishments in judo, I'm a better athlete. I'm more skilled in one area than these other girls. And even if I'm not skilled in these other areas, I'm so much better as an athlete and a competitor. I've done it so much over my lifetime. And I've been training around world-class people my entire lifetime. I'm going to have this huge advantage over these women that they're not going to be able to catch up to. And essentially that's been it because most of the girls she's fought have not been world champions. They haven't been high school champions. Most of them are like women who did some sports and then decided to get into MMA. I mean, Betch Cahaya was an accountant a couple of years before she made it. I don't believe that Ronda was ever in love with MMA in the first place. Ever since she's made a name for herself, she's always talked about doing movies and doing other things. It's very rare you get Ronda Rousey going in depth talking about MMA in all these multiple interviews she does. She doesn't really go into depth about that if you think about it. Listen to interviews. She doesn't really go into depth about the training and about the technical aspects and about fight prep and all that stuff. She she answers questions, but you don't ever see I've never seen the passion and the interest and the depth that you hear from people who are really immersed in the in the sport. To me it seems like something for her to do to make money, make a name and create a launching pad for her to go into other avenues of life with. That's always been my impression. I've never thought she loved it. Misha Tate said that before. And I, I've always gone along with that. I've never believed that she's loved it. So 
I could see where it would put her to the point where she feels suicidal and she feels distant and she feels totally out of it because a lot of Ronda Rousey's a lot of Ronda Rousey's success is, is strictly a hype job of confidence in her mind that's the biggest thing that her coach has done for her nothing technically nothing so much strategically it's making her feel that she's invincible it's making her feel that she's unbeatable it's making her feel that at her worst she can beat everybody else in the world at her best and luckily for her her pedigree in judo and her athleticism that was pretty that's pretty much the case ronda rousey could be half-assed and beat 95 percent of the division to be quite honest let's just be straight they don't have the depth of skill experience striking on the ground or in wrestling to really put her in positions that are going to test her so to be quite honest ronda can beat most of the division with one hand behind the back not being 100 percent focused the reason it's different now is because ronda knows she's vulnerable and no matter how how no matter how much sense that doesn't make because anybody can be knocked out anybody can be hurt ronda rousey in her mind in between herself and her trainer had developed this fantasy land where she's untouchable and people keep reaffirming that she's untouchable. So when you constantly hear constant reaffirmment that you're untouchable, that nobody can hurt you, that nothing's ever hurt you, you start buying into that. And I think that was a problem that happened before she fought home. She was, she convinced herself and she was convinced by the media and everybody around her that she couldn't be beat. She couldn't be touched. She couldn't be hurt. And then not only was she out, it wasn't like she lost a decision and she was outworked and outslicked or something like that. She was brutally, and clearly and cleanly finished in an embarrassing in an embarrassing manner that hurt her whole her whole sense of self-worth you read interviews about how when she lost judo matches it crushed her and it tore up and as competitive as judo is there's something different about being in a fight and we talked about this with the cm punk thing there's different with the being in a fight taking punches and losing it's a emotional and spiritual spiritually damaging thing to go through that and she really had to face that on a, on a large scale. And I think that's what really set her off. Plus the fact that she never really had that much interest in MMA. It's just a means to an end for her, in, in my opinion. It's just a means to an end for her. So her first thing is to get away from it. She, it, she doesn't want to do it anymore. She needs a break from it. She needs, a, she needs to go do something else. She wants to have this guy's kid. She wants to kill herself. I don't think it's so much about losing, not being a champion in MMA so much as it, it affected her self-confidence. And if you listen to interviews throughout her life about when she was younger in judo, even in MMA, she's got self-confidence issues. She has huge self-confidence issues. And this just highlighted them when she lost because this was this one area she had never been beaten in and everybody told her there was no way she would be beaten in. And she was beaten soundly. Well, I mean, I can't argue with you, argue with those points that you made there. You definitely um, hit on a couple of different angles on it Listen to the, watch her interview. She's always talking about when I was younger, I had, had self-confidence issues. When I was a teenager, I dated losers because I had self-confidence issues. When I got out of the Olympics, I didn't have anything and they didn't give me any money and I had self-confidence issues. Like her whole spiel from beginning to end is a lot of, I didn't believe in myself. I dated people who were beneath me because I didn't believe in myself. I did things I shouldn't have done because I didn't believe in myself. I mean, she overcame them and did a lot of stuff because she had faith in herself. But if you listen to her trend throughout her life, a lot of it was, it was personal and emotional turmoil because she had a lack of confidence in herself. And it just read, read the interviews and you'll hear it repeatedly over and over and over and over. Yeah. That, that's definitely been some stuff I've, I've seen in the past um, when it comes to how she is, how she even talks about herself. So yeah, you're definitely right. 
there. I think that that's going to be an interesting story. I'm looking forward to hearing her first comments um, since this fight, fight announcement because I hope, I believe that she will be asked those questions where she at mentally, and I'm looking forward to seeing what her answers are. Last question in reference to Rousey Nunes. Does her return have as much clout as Craig, uh, Conor McGregor? Do we see similar numbers? Um, this is the only fight that's been announced for UFC 207, so I'm sure it's the, it's the last event of the year for the UFC, and they always do something big for um, their New Year's show. So do you think that this show will do comparable numbers to Conor McGregor's last two shows, or are we looking at the moment where we solidify the fact of who was the bigger draw? I would say it could do even without with just Nunez. It, and I hate to I hate to downplay Nunez, but I can't I can't emphasize this point enough. If this was Misha Tate, Ronda Rousey three, I would guarantee it would eclipse anything that they had done between Nate Diaz and Conor McGregor because they actually have a history of fights, and every fight has been more competitive. And now the roles have been reversed. Misha's the champ looking on down on Ronda. Ronda's going to get her title back. She's been the only champ. You know, it, it has so many storylines. With, with Amanda Nunes, there's not as many storylines. There's not as many storylines. And a lot of people expect Ronda to actually run over Amanda Nunes. So, in a sense, a lot of people are basically signing on to see Ronda reaffirm her space as the top dog at Bantamweight. And she has a huge fan base. I, I think it'll be comparable I just don't, I think there was a chance for it to overshadow it if she fought home or Tate, but both of those fights are off the table now. So she's fighting Nunes, a person with really no Q, no, no, no sort of Q rating with, with the general public. She doesn't have a name in the general public. She's, you know, I mean, she's the first lesbian fighter and that's a big thing, but it's not that big a thing because you haven't seen her on a lot of shows. I mean, after, you know, after Nate Diaz has been, a big star before he fought Conor McGregor. He became a superstar after he fought him. Amanda Nunes isn't a star of any means, not even in MMA circle, she's not a star. She doesn't draw clicks. She doesn't draw ratings. She doesn't draw... If I had Misha Tate on the show and I have a choice between Amanda Nunes, I'll take Misha Tate. Misha Tate's going to bring in ratings. I'll take Holly Holm. Holly Holm's going to bring in ratings. Uh, Nunes isn't, isn't, isn't anybody who moves the needle, as Dana White likes to say. So it's going to be strictly on the strength of Ronda Rousey. So I still think it'll be comparable because she's still a, in people's minds, a top fighter. She is a feminist icon, as I've been told repeatedly. And she is a champion returning to get her belt back. And there's always a storyline for that. I just don't, I just feel like without another draw on the opposite side of it, she's, it's not going to surpass what Conor McGregor did. And a lot of what Conor McGregor's, a lot of his biggest selling pay-per-views has been because of, who he's fighting yeah he's a star in himself but you know the fight would if he would have fought anybody except Diaz and had a, that whole build up to the fight it wouldn't have sold as well if he was fighting anybody except Jose Aldo it wouldn't have sold as well Aldo's history Aldo's star turn Aldo's dominance helped sell the fight on top of Conor McGregor's attitude his personality and how he's been winning fights the fact that Nate Diaz knows how to talk knows how to how to play up to the crowd has an attitude and has his own huge fan base help Conor McGregor break those records. Ronda's not going to have any help. It's going to be strictly on Ronda Rousey to carry it. And I think she'll be comparable, but she had a chance to blow Conor McGregor's numbers out of the water if it was a home or Misha Tate rematch. I don't know how it goes over with Amanda Nunes. I just really don't. I, I don't. I don't think it surpasses those numbers. 
So I'm going to use that to segue into a topic. We're going to go off course a little bit from the agenda that we put together um, this week. But did you see um, Jose Aldo's statements from earlier today? You may have missed it about his um, UFC contract. Uh, I, I, you know, I actually did miss it. Uh, so, as you're probably well aware, you know he's he's having his issues with UFC, talking about he doesn't want to fight for them anymore. He actually went as far as to say that he's willing to throw in, he's willing to throw a fight to get out of his contract. Um, which I think is pretty amazing to think that this guy is widely considered. You know, he's he's probably on you know a top five pound for pound list all time. He I could see him being being considered in that conversation. He just openly admitted that he's willing to throw a fight in order to get out of his UFC contract. What should like should that be it? Like should the UFC just basically think about, you know, cutting this guy loose and letting him do what he wants to do? Because I think that I think that they've are I don't want to say they're gonna be they're losing a, a uh they're losing the battle with him, but I think he is at a point where he's just gonna take his ball go home and not and not come back um and while they do have the contractual rights to his performance at this point in time and there really isn't a way for him to you know get that breach of contract currently to um get out of get out of his current situation seeing that statement especially from someone that has so much pride as a fighter as aldo seeing that statement makes me think that man maybe it's just best for them to cut their ties and let him go well, I, I asked the same question I asked when we talked about this the first time. If he just wants to retire, he can just retire. My question is, why does he want to be released and then retire? If he wants to just retire from MMA, he can retire. The UFC will not stop him. The UFC won't care if he retires. They'll be fine with that. They just don't want to give up their rights to him because if he decides to come back, they don't want him going to want to, to Risen. They don't want him going to Bellator, which I doubt he would, but they don't want to go into Japan. They don't want him going to Bellator. They don't want him popping up in anybody else's organization because they feel like they put they put him on the map. Yeah, his skills did it, but they gave him a platform and an avenue to apply those skills. And even though he lost to Conor McGregor, the fact that he's been connected to Conor McGregor has helped him become a bigger star because he's been connected to him. More, more people saw that one-punch knockout loss to McGregor than probably saw all his fights combined. He wasn't a draw. He's still not necessarily a draw, but now he's at least known, known among casual observers because of his connection to Conor McGregor and this whole kickup about him fighting Conor McGregor. So my question, once again, is if you just want to retire, you still let you retire. They let people retire all the time. Why do you want your release if you don't want to fight anymore? That's where the problem, that's the only thing hanging this up. If he wants to retire, the UFC will let him, but they're not going to let him go and then let him retire because then he has the option of coming back and they have no say over where he, where he goes or who he fights. And they don't want to do that. They don't want to, send one of their stars that they built up and send them to another organization to help their bottom line. And I think that that is the point there. I think that he has said that he doesn't want to fight for the UFC anymore. Um, it's not necessarily a threat to retire, but I think he's definitely made it a um, flat-out point that he doesn't want to compete with the UFC anymore. He doesn't want to play their games anymore. He's tired of watching Conor get whatever he wants. And, and we all understand those conversation points, but um, seeing his most recent comments about being willing to throw a fight, that's a pretty amazing statement there. I, w I will say this, it's a bad look for him, and I understand he's frustrated, but what, what is it like all guys, you know, a lot of dads tell their sons or father figures, tell, tell, tell men, young men, all you have is your word, and 
your dignity and your integrity. And he's basically saying, because I'm so frustrated, I'm going to throw away my integrity as a fighter. And to some degree, some people will say as a man, so I can get out of a contract that I'm not going to get out of anyways. I mean, because if he throws the fight, the UC is still probably not going to let him go. And even if they, if they do, you know, I mean, how does that make him look? Like, let's say he, he, he decides he really just, he's just going to fight it out and fight his way until he gets to McGregor. And then he loses his next fight by some first round knockout. What's the first thing that's going to be in your mind? The first, the same thing that's going to be in my mind. He threw the fight. Yep. <laughs> so no, he, yep. He, he, good old dive. He's essentially put himself in this corner that if he loses a fight, it loses some fight in some spectacular fashion or loses some fight in some like, what was, what was Aldo thinking going for that takedown and not, not defending his neck? The first thing that's going to come up is I was willing to throw a fight to get out of the UFC. I mean, if he does that, his, essentially his name in a lot of, lot of manners is going to be, is going to be worthless. I mean, yeah, go to another organization now. You don't you don't think that'll make ESPN? That won't make Fox Sports? You don't think the UFC will have their talking heads bring that point up? Yeah, it was a, it was, it was a crazy loss. I mean, Aldo, who's usually so good defensively, just for some reason got tired and then got countered and was KO'd. It's, it's just so strange that that happened. Well, you know, he did say he would throw a fight. I mean, imagine if he said this before he fought Conor McGregor and then Conor McGregor stops him with one shot. What, what damage does that do to his reputation as a fighter? It does a lot. It definitely does a lot. Um, I think it's going to be and one he's hell of a himself. He's painted himself. I do apologize for cutting you off. He's no, 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 no. into this corner because he's so frustrated. He stopped thinking about business and stopped thinking about legacy. And he's just thinking about the immediate issue of getting out of his contract. And the fact of the matter is, even if he has lots of money, he doesn't have Conor McGregor. He doesn't have, let me put it like this. He doesn't have Floyd Mayweather money. It would take Floyd Mayweather money to take the UFC to court and have any chance of winning a battle with them because they can just put this off. They've got endless amounts of money coming in. Right? They just sold for how many billion? He doesn't have that kind of money. And the UFC doesn't care about care about bad publicity because the MMA media doesn't really hold the UFC's feet to the fire like other sports hold and holds other sports media hold those sports to the feet to the fire. We hold MLB, NFL, NBA. If some if some player talk like this you know, he'd be getting roasted. It'd be all over ESPN. It'd be all over Fox Sports. It'd be all over the internet. And everybody would chip, be chipping in and chiming in. MMA media doesn't hold the UFC's feet to the fire like this. They do lots of suspicious stuff and, and just rolls off their back. Their own, their own biggest star, Dana White, says crazy stuff about people that no other commissioner could get to say about a woman or a man and get away with it. And he says it freely and frequently and nobody says a thing to him. So... He, he, this is a no-win situation. The best thing is if he wants to retire, retire. If he doesn't want to retire, keep fighting and keep pointing out the UFC's flaws in how, the, how their rankings go and how their matchmaking goes and how their favoritism goes. That's the only two options he has. These sort of things aren't doing anything to help his legacy and not doing anything to help his reputation as a fighter, in my opinion. Okay, some good breakdowns there. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see. I don't, I don't think we're going to see him anytime soon. Um, I think that he's just going to, you know, he's, he's going to, like I said, he's going to take his ball and he's going to go home. Like, you know, screw you guys. I'm out of here. Um, so let's head into our next topic. Um, I think we're going to, we're going to finish up with, uh, 
UFC 204. We're going to talk about that last. But there was a rumor going around about George St. Pierre and Anderson Silva being the headline for UFC 206. This is an upcoming show in Toronto. Now, since that rumor has started, originally, it, it, I guess it started swirling when Anderson Silva's son uh, Instagrammed a picture of uh, GSP and uh, Silva standing back to back in their jujitsu geese. So people started took that and started speculating, started running with it as we always do. But question: GSP Anderson Silva, do you want to see this fight, or is it basically seven years too late at this point in time? Uh, Mayweather Pacquiao was seven to ten years too late, and, I, and people watch that. So I, I'd still watch it just just because it. Even, even though it wouldn't be the fight that it would have been seven years ago, it's still happening. I'm still going to see it. You know, you know it, 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 unfortunately, it's just one of those situations. It's like a Batman versus Superman wasn't the greatest movie either, but it's still Batman versus Superman. I'm going to see it. I got to at least see. I got to see it. Just off name value alone. It could be a terrible, might not have been the greatest movie, might not be the best fight. I'm still going to go watch it. Just like a Super Bowl, it might not be, the best matchup, but it's still a Super Bowl, so you're probably going to at least tune in to see what happens. Well, let's talk about that then. Um, you know, this is UFC 206 in Toronto. Is this the fight that they need to carry that card? Right now, um, the, the main event is Johnson versus Cormier 2. Um, there's a couple of other fights that are booked for Give me one second so I can look. But... Would you book this fight with the intention of it being the biggest fight on the card? So let me see. Like right now, Cormier and Johnson are listed as a main event just because, you know, they are the main event there. But there's no other, I believe. So Zach Makovsky, John Moraga, they're both ranked. And Valerie Letourneau, she's also ranked. But of the one, two, three, four, five, six, of the seven fights outside of the main event there's only three other ranked fighters on this card so do you take do you push to get um gsp and silver to fight on this card knowing what that would do for this event as a whole i'll tell you i'll tell you one person who's going to push for gsp and anderson Silva to be on this card and i think he knows who i'm talking about dc daniel cormier he's a champion he gets pay-per-view points do i want gsp versus anderson silva on the card that i'm fighting on when I get points on that pay-per-view card, yes. Yes, I do. Anybody who's on that card wants those guys to fight because that's more money for them. That's more that's some there will be some sponsor who'll pay money because they know you're gonna be on a card with GSP and Anderson Silva. So from that instance, there's fighters who want them to be on that card. The UFC, I don't know why they wouldn't do it. Like even though it's not a top matchup, even though Silva's past his prime and GSP's past his prime, it's a fight that sells. And to be quite honest, the UFC can talk about all their, we want to be a legitimate sport. Yeah, no, no, you don't. Because you don't let somebody go from one division to another and just get a title fight. You don't let one guy pick his shots. You don't have a matchup of a pro wrestler against a legitimate fighter. You want to make money. You want to draw eyes. Anderson Silva and GSP still makes money and it still draws eyes. And even though Anderson's lost a couple fights in a row, he hasn't been in necessarily bad fights. His fight with Nick Diaz was entertaining. His fight against... Um, Bisping, who's now the middleweight champion, that performance we thought that signaled the end of Anderson Silva. In hindsight, now it looks better. It look it actually looks good. It actually looks like a pretty good loss, even though it's a loss. I mean, Anderson Silva last three rounds, 
Luke Rockhold couldn't get through the first, if I remember correctly. Luke Rockhold got knocked cold by the same dude who was almost finished by Anderson Silva multiple times. So that fight doesn't look as bad as it did, as it does. Even his loss against Daniel Cormier, moving up a weight class, the fight doesn't look that bad. It's going to draw. The UFC wants to make money. The only reason they might not have the fight is because they have an issue with GSP. But if they're so petty as to take money out of their pocket just because they don't like the way a guy's talking, they're even worse businessmen than I thought they were. It's a bottom line business. And you go to Toronto, that's a sellout because GSP's coming back. And you probably get close to at least a million buys, if not over that. With GSP versus Anderson Silva, at least a million buys. And the UFC can't afford to pass up those kind of numbers because they don't have those kind of stars. They have like three stars. GSP is retired. And he's still one of the top three stars in in the sport, in the UFC. So how do they how do they pass that up? What's in what world does that make sense unless Dana White is just being petty and wants to be right and doesn't want to pay GSP and Anderson Silva what they want, which whatever you pay them is worth the money because you'll make it all back up on pay-per-view sales and sell out crowd. Well, I mean, you're not wrong there. You're definitely, um, you're not wrong there. Like, so let me ask this. And when you look at the way everything shapes out, is there, are there any, are there any Canadian fighters left that can main event a UFC bout? They had GSP, obviously, you know, he broke records, carried the sport in that area. They tried to transition over to Roy McDonald. He's now with Bellator, and I expect them to begin tapping into that market with the Red King as their poster boy. Does the UFC have anyone else on their roster that can be Canada's face for mixed martial arts? I mean, I don't really think so. I mean, there's somebody who can be a face. When they say face, they mean a guy who's like a crossover star who gets the whole country, who gets all Canada behind them and then appeals to Americans as well. I don't know who that fighter is that they have. I mean, GSP was already become when GSP first got into the UFC he was already kind of had a buzz about him throughout throughout the world he wasn't a superstar by any means but he had a buzz about them a buzz about him I don't know any guy who 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 generates that kind of interest you know I, I don't I don't I, I really don't I, I can't think of any I don't I can't honestly think of too many fighters outside of Conor McGregor who generate an actual genuine interest in what they say and what they think how they train and how they approach fights People were interested about anything and everything GSP related. That's not the case with most fighters nowadays, American or not. Most guys don't don't generate that kind of buzz with people. So I don't think there's a, they don't have a legitimate Canadian draw. Even Roy McDonald wasn't a wasn't a legitimate Canadian draw. He was a great fighter, but he wasn't anybody that people got behind. He wasn't anybody who had a story that people could relate to. He wasn't anybody who handled the media or handled the press or handled. Uh, endorsements in a manner that built his brand. He was just a guy who, who wanted to fight and wanted to be professional and didn't want to say much and had his, you know, his weird little shtick. I mean, he never resonated with fans, and no fighter they've had since from Canada has resonated with fans since. Who who have they had? I don't think there is one. Alan Jabouin. No, he's Maybe. not. <laughs> I mean, that's the first guy that came to mind. I can't even. Um... Mm. I might have I might have to become the full time only host of this show for you saying that just for saying that <laughs> just for saying that he's the first guy that came to mind I mean come on who's the guy don't with the good hair um, don't tune in next week listen for Rafael Garcia this is now the MMA rating show with Shawan Hughes only who's the other guy <laughs> with the good the hair um what's the dude's name. Oh. You, that's, the other that's guy with the, the other guy. That's my point. We're we're proving the point right there. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean, that one guy who can fight a little bit. 
The, the one interesting I'm, guy. Yes, with, with with the cool hair. That's all I'm thinking of. But yeah, so like, I mean, it really is. That's a, that's a huge question, and I don't know. Um, I think that they need GSP Silva on this card because it would do huge numbers, and I mean, it would keep that momentum going. I mean, if you look at their schedule to close out the rest of the year, we just had UFC 204, which I think was a major event over in Manchester, England. We have 205 at Alvarez and. McGregor in New York is probably going to be the biggest card ever. Then we have UFC 206, which is that event in Canada we're talking about now, and the UFC 207, which is Nunez and Rousey. So this 206 card, you don't want to you don't want to skip in that um, you don't want to skip in that momentum. Like that actually happened the first the last time uh, Cormier and Johnson fought at uh, what was it UFC 198, I believe it was, where it was sandwiched in between so many good events that it didn't really get the type of promotional push that that card should have gotten. And they saw that when the numbers came back. So this is another opportunity where that same situation can happen to the same two fighters, and you don't really want to see that happen again. So um, they need something, and I think that that something is getting GSP Silva on that card. I just have to point out one thing. The UFC is not really good at making stars. They never have been. Ronda Rousey wasn't made a star of the UFC. She got her big break through Strikeforce. Strikeforce is the people who gave her her first opportunity and gave her her first big fight where she got a lot of attention when she fought Misha Tate. They're the ones who created the storyline for her. The UFC just bought Strikeforce and jumped all over it. The UFC didn't create GSP. They didn't create Conor McGregor. They gave him a platform to perform on. But they didn't do it. They didn't know how to make stars. They, they've essentially had all their stars fall on their lap. Their second biggest star in Bantam, women's bantamweight is Misha Tate. Misha Tate made her whole name outside of the UFC. That's, that's where her star became. Gina Macrano didn't become a star with the UFC. She's never been connected to the UFC. And she's still one of the biggest names in women's MMA. And she hasn't fought in years. The UFC doesn't know how to build stars. And they, that's why they don't have a replacement for GSP. They don't know how to find one. They don't know how to develop one. They don't know how to connect people. All the, all the stars they've had has been uh, because of the individual efforts of those fighters. The fighters who have the charisma and the charm and can carry something, they become stars. The UFC have tried to push people. They tried to turn Cain Velasquez into a star. He's not one. Sorry. They tried to turn D- DC into a star. He is also not a star. They tried it with multiple people. They have not been able to do it once. It's all been individuals who've had a certain standout star quality who have turned their earnings and their brand into huge forces of nature. The UC has essentially built no one. And they and I don't think they know how to. So they need to hang on to whatever stars they have and ride them until they can't ride them anymore because the UFC does not have any other legitimate stars coming up right now. Star fighters, yes. Crossover media stars. I can't think of one. I can't think. Of I'm gonna one argue. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna argue you there because with because um and this is another great segue, man. You're, you're giving me you're giving me alley oops today. Did you see okay. that um Paige Van Zant is fighting Michelle Waterson as the main event for UFC Fight Night uh 22 or UFC on Fox 22 coming up um next month five round main event there for those two women. I mean while the Karate Hottie was a star before she got into the UFC even before Invicta, I think. Paige Paige Van Zandt can be someone that's considered homegrown. Same thing with Sage Northcutt. Sage Northcutt is fighting Mickey Gall that same night, too. Both of those guys may be considered homegrown, too, as well, if they get to that point. Um, I'm thinking of, you know, like, other than those two, maybe right now, um, 
you're right. They don't have any other star. I think they're kind of grooming Cody Garbrandt to get to that that um, position. They're kind of grooming some guys to that, that can get there. But one big part of that is that they have definitely they do give certain people the platform to become crossover stars. But they do have some they 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 have some bodies brewing. I think we're just gonna have to wait and see where they are four or five years down the line when some of these 22, 23 year olds get of age and let's see what they really um can do can do. Yeah, I I'll agree with you on that point. But when you're really a star, the thing about it is you have to win to a certain degree. But when you're a star, win or lose, you're still a star. Oscar De La Hoya got beat by Shane Mosley. Shane Mosley didn't become a a crossover star because he beat Oscar De La Hoya. Shane Mosley was never a star. Beating Oscar De La Hoya didn't change that. Holly Holm beat Ronda Rousey. She was a star of the moment. But after that, after that, after she lost to Misha Tate, who cared about Holly Holm? What were her ratings after Misha Tate? After Ronda Rousey and Misha Tate, what were her ratings? They they weren't anything special. Nate Diaz lost three or four fights in a row, and people still came in to see Nate Diaz because Nate Diaz is a star. Conor McGregor got finished and tapped out. He's still breaking records coming in, awful losses. When you're a star, you kind of supersede wins and losses. Those things matter. The wins matter twice as much as a normal win, but the losses don't count for half as much. They don't because people want people are connected to you. People want to see you. You, you understand where I'm coming from? Like, how many Super Bowls has Peyton Manning lost, and he's still a bigger star than Tom Brady? He's lost. Ooh, I'd argue there. I'd argue that. I'd no, argue I would, that one. I would, I would not. I've never, I've never seen more than two Tom Brady commercials on in a week. I've seen four or five Peyton Manning commercials in the same day. See, I think that Tom Brady might not be liked, which is different than being a diff a bigger star. I think that there's a there's there's a difference there. Okay, okay, I, I, I will, I can entertain that because but, we never but, saw many Michael Vick um, commercials either when he was at the height of his fame before the dog fighting um, situation. But remember, he was one of the biggest stars in the league at the time, bigger than Peyton Manning too. Definitely the highest yeah. paid. Maybe he was. Uh, maybe, maybe it's just the household I was around. I, I don't remember. I don't ever remember a time when Michael Vick was bigger than Peyton Manning. Maybe that's just me. It, it probably did happen, but I don't ever remember a time when the, the people I've been around were. Michael Vick was a bigger star than Peyton Manning. I'm not saying it didn't happen. I'm just saying I never saw it. But a lot of times people mistake the fact that if I beat this person, I'm going to get their star power. That's not how it works. You have to have your own star power. And if you, if you have your own, then beating another star helps you get to the next level. But if you're not a star, beating a star doesn't help you get to the next level because you don't, know how, to, you, you don't ha know how to maximize it. You have to get out there. You have to talk. You have to shake hands. You have to do appearances. You have to do so many other things that all these fighters don't want to do. They don't have the personality to do it. I've seen Chris Weidman on shows. He's not very funny. He's not particularly engaging. Other guys have a natural charisma, a natural charm. They know how to play back and forth. They know how to play the crowd. They know what to say and they know what to do. Other guys know how to do it. They just don't want to. So they're going to let their opportunity pass them by. And just beating the top guy does not make you a star. Conor McGregor was a star beating 13th ranked guys, 10th ranked guys, 7th ranked guys. Jose Aldo cleaned out his whole division, and he's never been half the star Conor McGregor is. He didn't even become half of the star Conor McGregor was until Conor McGregor knocked him out. And even now, he's still not a star, but he's more known than he was before. So it, it, it's a lot of guys mistake the fact that wins are what make you a star. It's not. Your character, your personality, your story is what makes you a star. Winning helps ju justify you being a star. Paige Van Zandt winning a bunch of fights justifies her being a star. 
but it does it's not what makes her a star being the ufc is not what made her a star she's attractive for w mma terms she's got a I don't think she's got the most engaging personality, but she has she has a certain quality about her. But she didn't become a star fighting in the UFC. She fought in the UFC, was on Dancing with the Stars, and as a result, has struck a nerve with the mainstream media. But it wasn't because she was a UFC fighter. You know, I mean, if somebody said UFC fighter Paige Van Zandt, most people I know did were like, who? They'll still say the girl on Dancing with the Stars. She's known as the Dancing with the Stars girl before she's known as the UFC fighter. In my opinion, and people I I know, that's how they know her. That's how they know her. I can get I can get with you on that. I can definitely get down with you on that there too. So um, let's head towards the last topic of the day. You know, we're talking about homegrown stars. Um, let's look at uh, or was last weekend we saw Michael Bisping get battered for get battered again. You know, it always seems like he gets beat up even when he wins, but he pulled out a um, controversial win to defend a middleweight title. Um, first and foremost, let me ask this first. How did you score that fight? I had it 3-2 um, for Bisbing. I've, I've watched it again since then. How did you have that fight scored? I, I really, looking at it objectively, I had to go with Bisping. Just the work rate. That was the biggest thing about it. Bisping, this, this fight actually mirrored the John Lineker, John Dodson fight to me. And the difference is, the reason the reason Dodson lost and Bisping won is all volume. Yeah, the other person landed the most damaging shots, the most telling shots as far as the reaction. But Bisping, his his output kept going up. When you're a mover and you stick and your your thing is to stay away and use feints and use angles. If I'm fighting you and even though I'm not landing, if I'm throwing more punches in you, and your punch count starts to lower, and your willingness to counter or lead lowers. The judges and the fans noticed that. Before, every time I threw a punch, you counter with a, right, a left hook and a body kick. Now when I throw a punch, you're running away. You're disengaging. You won't counter as much. You won't lead anymore until I trap you and make you fight. People notice that sort of stuff. Henderson was never controlling when and where the exchanges took place. Henderson controlled basically when he was effective, but he was never, he was never controlling when they were going to fight and how they were going to fight. He, he wanted a slow-paced fight where he could explode in spots, get Bisping down, and work him over, and, and hopefully finish. Bisping never let him have that fight. Yeah, he rocked him, but the next round, Bisping was right on top of him, probably out-throwing him three to one. Body kicks, head kicks, jabs, right hands, attacking the legs, attacking the body, attacking the head. Bisping just buried him un under volume. That's all he did. He buried him under volume. If Bisping would have been like Dodson and slowly had his volume going lower and lower and lower, where he's just disengaging and circling away and feigning and not throwing anything, he would have lost based off of damage and effective strikes, but he just kept throwing so much that it exposed Dan Henderson. Henderson's just getting all these shots landing on him, and Henderson can say he didn't really hurt me, but if he didn't hurt you, why weren't you throwing back? If he didn't hurt you, why are you stepping back? If he didn't hurt you, why, is he, why are you covering up? Why is your volume going down? Why are you huffing and puffing? You keep saying he's not hurting you, yet you can't do anything to stop a guy who you tell me can't hurt you at all. So I, I had to go by volume. Volume and cage control activity basically won Bisping the fight. If Bisping's activity would have lowered, he would have lost the fight. Or if Dan Henderson knew how to throw a body body shot, he would have lost the fight too. But Dan, luckily for him, Dan Henderson doesn't know how to throw one. And Bisping is a cardio machine in MMA. I mean, he's not athletically gifted at all. He has to use technique, strategy, and volume to beat anybody he fights. But I, I went for Bisping based off, of, based off of volume. That first round was a 10-8. 
because he got dropped and he was hurt badly. The second round, he got knocked down, but he was he was dominating that round. So I can't really give that to him. I think I think Henderson probably won the first and the fifth. I might give him the fifth, but the other even those rounds were close. But the other rounds, Bisping clearly won just off of volume, volume and movement. Okay, okay, good breakdown there. Some good breakdown. So with this win here. Does Michael Bisping become a big star? I think. Well, I mean, I feel like he he could be he could be another individual that's con, that's considered a a homegrown star on the UFC roster. But is he like this? Does this fight make him a? I don't want to say I don't wanna use the, the term crossover because that can mean so many different things. He's already a huge name in England, but does this make him a bigger star um, at this point in time? Getting this getting this this win. No, not really. He's more famous for getting knocked out by Henderson than than this win. This win isn't this win isn't gonna change anything. Bisping is who he is. He's not gonna become any bigger or less bigger based off of this fight. He's he is who he is at this point. Um, even it, it might help legitimize him to a degree, but it's not gonna make him any bigger a star. He's not gonna get any more opportunities based off of beating a forty six year old man who's retiring because his body's falling apart. That's not gonna happen. But I mean, Bisping's Bisping knows how to talk. He's a he's a good-looking guy. He has a sort of presence about him. He he's a talker, and is it pertains to covering his sport. He's opinionated, and he's informed. If you're those things, and you're you know you're in a sport, uh, you're pretty much guaranteed a certain amount of success. So Bisping, once again, he might have been given a platform by the UFC, but the UFC didn't do him any favors. They didn't give him opportunities to be a star. They gave him tough fights. He either won or lost them. And most of the guys Bisping has beat haven't been top-ranked guys. So a lot of Bisping's selling points and his job opportunities with Fox and other things have come because of his own personality, his own charisma, and his own drive to get himself out there. Same thing with his fights. He, he, he's just a guy who learned the craft, constantly improved, and constantly worked, and he's maximized his opportunities when he's had them. But he, he's, he's not going to be any bigger star beating Dan Henderson, and I don't know anybody in the in the middleweight division who he's going to fight who's going to help him become a bigger star. There's nobody in the division who's going to make Bisming a star by him beating them. To be quite honest, there's nobody. Nobody has. Like you don't think? Well, um, I don't know. You think if if he goes on, like I think that there's that that's a long longevity term. I, I, I while I don't think he has that at this point in his career. Um, I think he could become a bigger star if he continued to win. You know, he would have to defeat Jacare. He'd have to defeat Yoel. Weidman, Rockhold again, um, Tim Kennedy. He had to get that. He would have to get that win back. There's guys there that he could beat as a cumulative score that could help him become a star. But yeah, I agree with you. There's not that one person that he could get a win over and become a, a um, huge star. Like like Conor McGregor right now for much of the much of the sport is that one person that someone can defeat and become a a, a huge star. Maybe even John Jones. Maybe Ronda Rousey too if, if the right person does it. But for Michael Bisping, he doesn't have that one person. That's the thing about it. If he wins, all it does is legitimize his middleweight reign because it'll be like, wow, he wasn't just a fluke. He beat Henderson. He beat Rockhold. He beat all these guys. It just legitimizes him. It doesn't. It doesn't make him a star. Just like you said, if the right person beats, if the right person has to do it, then it doesn't mean that. Then you don't really have a blueprint. Blueprint. You know what I mean? It's like somebody saying anybody can be a singing star. But only having somebody of Mariah Carey's talent make it. Well, then not anybody can do it. If anybody can do it, you, me, or anybody can do it. It's either anybody can do it or anybody can't. There's nobody who's going to make Bisping an actually bigger name star. He's made it himself because he's opinionated. 
He's a good talker. He thinks on his feet and he's clever and he's hardworking in anything he engages himself into. It has nothing to do so much with fighting. There's guys with much better records against top guys than Bisping. Why aren't they better stars? Why, why was Chael Sonnen a star? Because he was a champion? No, because he could talk, because he knew how to play the crowd. He knew how to build his brand. He knew, he knew what wanted, people wanted to hear, what, what people wanted from him, and he gave it to him. A lot of fighters aren't going to do that. Tim Kennedy's not going to do that. Tim Kennedy's going to piss off more people every time he opens his mouth. And I've heard Tim Kennedy is a pretty cool guy, but he's always going to – he just pisses people off every time he opens his mouth. Uh, Weidman, he's a good guy. He's a good fighter. He's a father. He's a husband. But he's boring. Sorry. That's just a fact. He's a boring dude to interview. He's a boring dude to hear talk. He's not particularly exciting to watch fight either. So, I mean, really, I mean, Belfort's a huge star in Brazil. He hasn't been a, a legitimate middleweight contender in years, but he's a huge star. Anderson Silva's still a huge star in Brazil. He hasn't won a fight in like four or five years. So it's, not, it's got nothing to do with you winning. Winning just legitimizes your star, but it doesn't make you one. It just, nobody, people just don't understand that if you have to be the right person to beat someone to become a star, then beating that person doesn't make you a star. You being who you are, beating that person makes you a star. Alvarez beats McGregor. He's not going to be a huge star. People care because they beat McGregor. They won't care about Eddie Alvarez. They don't care about him now. They're not going to care about him later. It's, I'm, I'm sorry. This is just an actual fact. I'm just stating facts. Okay. Okay. I can definitely. I can definitely see where you're going there, man. You're definitely dropping some knowledge there. Um, last topic from actually not the last topic. I got two or three others to talk about with UFC 204. Gegard Mousasi. He dispatched Vitor Belfort, did it, you know, everyone expected to see it coming. Um, and he also became more vocal in the post-fight press conference, talking about how the UFC is more interested in pushing um, fighters who speak English, They're more interested in, in pushing, like it's becoming, becoming more and more of a circus. Looking at Gegard, a lot of people forget, you know, he was he was a strike force champion, he's a dream champion, he has extensive boxing background. Is he a real contender at 185 pounds or is he somewhat like a like Jim Miller back in the lightweight days when he was winning seven straight but can never get over that hump to get to the title shot? What what should we expect from Gegard going forward? First of all, at this point to mention technically speaking, you can't mention Miller and Musasi in the same sentence because Musasi is much better. But as far as actually putting meaningful wins together, don't you dare put Musasi's name in the same sentence <laughs> as Jim Miller. Musasi has beaten no one of note. Every name person he's fought in the UFC, he has lost to, except Belfort. And Belfort just got hammered by Jack Array. And before that, got hammered by Chris Weidman. I understand he's saying that the UFC, UFC is a bunch of clowns and Conor McGregor's a clown. Conor McGregor has beaten, had beaten more guys on the way to his interim title shot, more ranked quality fighters on the way to his interim title shot than Musasi has beaten even now. Musasi's only on like, what, a two-fight win streak? He did get finished by Uriah, by Uriah Hall. We do remember that. He ran into a kick that anybody with even a basic knowledge of traditional martial arts would know how to not get hit by that shot that he somehow found a way to get knocked out by in a fight that he was clearly dominating. He got knocked out by Uriah Hall. He beat, he beat Vitor Belfort, who everybody's beaten in the past three or four years. Is that supposed to mean something to me? This is the one time I actually agree with Dana White because Musasi hasn't beaten anybody of note, but he's asking for a title fight. Why don't you beat a guy who's ranked? Why don't you beat a guy in his prime before you start telling me 
who how good you are and who you can be. Beat someone with a name. Beat someone who's under forty. Beat someone That's who's got a losing record the past three or four years. So so let's let's um let's look at that. Let's 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 look at that. So the win against Vitor, you know, that that's that's old school Vitor, that's post you side of Vitor, that's there's that's dad by Vitor. Yeah. Yes, that's dad by Vitor. So that one we're not really gonna count. Um he has a win over Thiago Santos, who was ranked. He just defeated Dallas Latis, who was ranked and I think was on like a ten fight win. He was on a ridiculous win streak. Um No, Michael Bisping beat Tyler's Latis first. He beat what happened? second. Michael Bisping beat Tyler's latest before. Yeah, that. but he but he's, he he still got that win over over latest. Um he knocked Kyle Casas Phillip who added the UFC. He has wins over Ovin St. Prue, Ilir Latifi. Mark Munoz. So, I mean, he's being some guys who have reached a high enough level. I'm not saying that you give him a title shot off of that win over Vitor. No. But what I'm saying is, should he be considered a top, you know, like a top three to five um, contender? Because remember, like I, I used Jim, uh, Jim Miller as a point of reference. When Miller went on his run, I mean, look, looking back at his run when he was probably at the height, of lightweight contention, the biggest name he probably defeated was Melvin Gillard. No, he, he didn't defeat any other rank, uh, ranked fighter at that point in time. Oh, then he, wow. then he lost to Benson Henry. Is an analyst. Hey, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. We're gonna go. We're gonna. I'm. I'm. I'm gonna Donald Trump you. We're gonna go to the facts, sir. Look, so <laughs> he beat Melvin Gillard, he beat Joe Lozon, and that's it. Joe Joe Lozon and Melvin Gillard are better than anybody on Musati's <laughs> record right now. I mean, Ovin, he beat uh, okay. Ovin, he beat Ovin St. Prue back in Strike Force, and Ovin St. Prue is just an athlete who knows some basic tech. He's he's not a good fighter. He's an athlete with okay. some, with some basic skills. That that means nothing. Santos Santos doesn't impress me either. I mean. I understand. He, based on skills and experience, Musasi is a very is a very good fighter. He should be ranked just off his balance and his skills and his conditioning and his understanding of the game. But he has a knockout loss to Uriah to Uriah Hall. Do we not forget that? You don't have a knockout loss a couple fights ago and then say start demanding title shots because you talk because he's saying the UFC is a farce because they're they're going by talking instead of accomplishments. All he's done is beat up a bunch of lower ranked guys and, and some guys that didn't deserve to be ranked and talk. So if the UFC gives him a shot, he's proving the point. He should he should actually have to beat somebody of a in their prime, at least in the top ten before I'm giving him any sort of credence for demanding a title shot. He's gotta beat one of these guys. All the top guys in middleweight are fighting each other. He wants he he wants to walk in the title shot. That's not happening. Now based off of skill, can, do I believe he could beat some of these guys or be competitive? Sure. But he hasn't shown in the UFC yet. He hasn't beaten anybody who, 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 he has, who he hasn't been supposed to beat, except for Hall. All the guys he's beaten are guys he should be beating. He hasn't beaten anybody who you're like, man, this could be a tough fight for Musasi. I don't know. You know, I'm not, I'm not too sure how this will go. He hasn't beaten anybody where you're like, I think this guy might beat him. I didn't think Latest was going to beat him. I didn't think Santos was going to beat him. I was, pretty sure you, I was pretty sure Machida would beat him, and he did. You know, I, I, didn't, I thought Uriah Hall had a 50-50 shot, and he knocked him out. I'm not saying he can't fight. I'm not saying he shouldn't be frustrated. I'm not saying he's not taking the right steps to get into position. But I haven't seen enough from him in the UFC to, to, for him to expect anything. I mean, 
he's done enough to be ranked in a fringe top 10, but who is he beat that really makes him a top 10, top five fighter outside of his name and his skill alone? Who is he really beaten and dominated? Gegard, um, top name. Not sure there, sir. You know, I, I, I'm not trying to take away from him, but you know, I mean, Rockhold, the same, the, the Rockhold crushed, crushed Machida. Machida didn't beat Weidman, and Weidman fought a Weidman fought one of the best versions of fought. Actually, Machida beat him on the way to getting a title shot to Weidman. You know, it's mm -hmm. like, I mean, I've always been a Musashi fan. I, I think he's got really great skills, but as a as a guy I know once told me, yeah, he's got great boxing, but who is he boxing against? Yeah, it's great for MMA, but is he was is he really that good a boxer? He's he's good for MMA. He's not a great boxer. He's not a great kickboxer. He's a guy with really good skills in all these areas. He's not particularly dominant in anyone. That's what separates Musasi because he's got that that calm demeanor, that poise under pressure, and he's got he, there's no one area in MMA that he can't functionally be effective in. He, he's not a threat in. He can threaten you wrestling. He can threaten you boxing. He can threaten you kickboxing. He can threaten you grappling. That's what makes him the big threat. He's not some dynamic athlete. He's not some dynamic finishing fighter. And if you look at his record, he's not. He hasn't been just beating up the best of the best at all times. He's been beating up a lot of good guys, but he hasn't been beating up the very, very best MMA has to offer at the time they were the best. You know, and, and after this fight, he was calling out Anderson Silva for God's sakes. Like, really? Like, <laughs> I don't know, man. I mean, if you want to make money, make money. If you want to, you want to make a farce of what the UFC is doing, that's fine. But don't tell me you want to. Don't tell me how good you are, and then call out Anderson Silva. That that's uh, that's, that's some good points, man. You're definitely making some good points. You're on it tonight. So, Brad Pickett and Vitor Belfort should they retire or not? I think since I've written this, I saw something about Vitor Belfort announcing his retirement. I'm not sure if that was official or not. I haven't seen anything about it since. But is it time for both of these guys to walk away from the sport? I don't know why Belfort hasn't already. He's still considered a good-looking guy by a lot of women. He's huge in his – he's huge – he's a, he's an actual star, a legitimate non-MMA star in his country, and he could be a spokesman for MMA. He could run a gym. He could be a, a face for an organization. There's so many avenues that he has based off the story, his prior success, his interviews, his devotion to God, all the different angles, his wife being a supermodel or actress. He has so many angles – I don't even know why he subjects himself to fighting these guys. I mean, I would think that at this point he, he's a big enough star where he doesn't need MMA to make money, and I, I hope that's the case. I guess he's just competitive, but there was no need for B Belfort to take any of these last fights. There was no need for him to do that at all. There, there just was no need. He should have retired to me like a year ago, two years ago. He, he should have just retired in, and made his way as a statesman for MMA and helped the sport grow in Brazil and just – and just sit back and, and live off of what he's done. He has a lot of avenues in front of him, MMA-related and non-MMA-related. Why he continues to do this himself, I don't know. Uh, Brad Pickett, I, I think he he can still fight. He can still compete. I don't know if I don't know that he was ever truly elite. He I don't never I never thought he had the physical attributes to be truly. He was tough. He was durable, but to be truly elite. You have to be exceptionally an, an exceptional technician if you don't have physical attributes or you have to have physical attributes. He's not an exceptional technician, especially defensively. And he's never been, even though he has a one-punch name, he's not a one-punch knockout fighter. He's not a dynamic, explosive, powerful athlete. He's like a slightly above average or average athlete who's got a lot of heart, a lot of aggression, set, has a lot of physicality, and sets a high pace. 
he, he's really nothing special as far as the area of talent goes. And I think he's, I think he's on the decline and I don't think he's capable of keeping up with top end young athletes anymore. The, the, the difference in athleticism and reaction time and fluidity is, is jarring when you see him up against the best of the best, when you see how they knock him out, when you see how they come at him and how he reacts. It's not that he doesn't know what to do. He knows what to do and he's tough enough to, to hang in there, but he doesn't have the ability to pull the trigger when it needs to be pulled. He doesn't have the technical skill to work out of the bad spots against much superior and dynamic athletes. He's good enough to survive in moments. He's, he's good enough to work himself in the fights. He's good enough to compete. I don't know that he's good enough to win against the best of the best anymore. Now, against second and third tier types, he could go to a Bellator. He could go to a Risen and, and, and put on win fights and be competitive. And even at this name, at this point, he could still compete in the UFC against fringe guys. But it, it's becoming clear he's no longer – he's no longer – he's not even able to compete with elite guys anymore. His losses have been devastating, one-sided, and vicious losses. It, against any name guy, any guy close to elite, he's been dominated and defeated cleanly. So it, it's clear that he's no longer that guy. If he wants to continue, he can, but he's like a stepping stone now. And the UFC at some point is going to get tired of him being using him as a stepping stone, and he's going to have to apply his trade in another division or another organization. So, I mean, I don't think he has to, he has to retire. He's still tough enough and experienced enough to compete and win at a certain level. But if he has hopes of being a champion, uh, in my opinion, and I say this respectfully because I have a lot of respect for who he is and how he is as a fighter and how he's been – has he portrayed himself as a man – he should probably retire. If he's trying to be a, a top contender or a title champ, a champion, uh, I, I don't think he, I don't, I don't know that he ever had a time. And if he did have a time, I think it's passed. Some good breakdowns there, man. I, I definitely agree with you on both of those there. Um, I do believe that his, uh, him being um, Brad Pickett, I think he does have some value, not as much, but uh, yeah. Um, it is time. I think it is time for Vito Belfort to step away from the sport. I mean, if you think about it, he was fighting before Dan Henderson, and Dan Henderson's last fight was at UFC 204. Um, and speaking of Henderson, first dollar Hall, Hall of Famer, yay or nay? Uh, yeah. He, every, every, every organization he's been a champion except for the UFC, but he fought for the title three times in the UFC. And, uh, you know, he, he, he's been competitive. He's had some of the greatest knockouts in UFC and MMA history. And the, all the guys he's beat are who's who. Uh, most, he's beaten multiple champions, former champions, or guys before they became champions. And he's one of the few guys to actually win a UFC tournament. So that's something in and of itself. That, that's quite a statement in and of itself. So he's going in first ballot. Even though he's probably one of the most one-dimensional fighters in the history of MMA, I mean, nobody is so – dogged and trying to use one weapon to win a fight in the history of MMA and actually achieve so much in MMA being pretty much, you know, one dimensional. I mean, I mean, seriously, like Dan, Dan Henderson may be the most one dimensional fighter in the history of MMA and still one of the most successful fighters in the history of MMA. It's, it's very interesting how that works. I think one thing is interesting about Dan is that he is a hall of famer, even without his UFC run, if you think about it, I mean, if you look back, his win over Fedor, his run in Pride, you know, he's a Strike Force champion. He is a Hall of Famer even without what he's done in the Octagon. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And, he's, and I mean, I, I think hands down, he's the best American mixed martial artist to ever compete in the sport. Like, that's just my opinion. I'm going to draw the line there. 
Yeah, I, I can see that. I don't know that I necessarily agree just because he never won it, won his title in the UFC. But I guess outside of everything else, when you factor in everything else, yeah, you could say that. And I, I, it'd be hard to argue. It'd be hard to argue the opposite. As far as so, competing against the best in every continent in multiple organizations, not many people have a better resume than he does. Yeah, I'm definitely going to um, definitely going to agree with you there. So, with that in mind, let's go ahead and close out this week's show. Um, let everybody know where they can find you and what you'll be doing for um, for the rest of this week. Uh, I'm actually as the as people who who watch the pay per views or the fight nights know. I'm on uh, I'm on Twitter, constantly berating MMA corners, and wondering about why all these MMA fighters say that I'm better than my opponent every spot when anybody who's got two eyes can see they clearly are not. I'm talking to you, Davy Grant. No offense, dude, but you just gave that fight away. You gave a clear win away with bad cornering and even worse cage IQ. Had to get that out of there. I said it on Twitter multiple times. I'm just saying it on the show so people think that I'm afraid to actually have my voice behind it when I say it. Most of the stuff anybody hears me say on Twitter, I will routinely say on this show. I get Raphael in all sorts of trouble because they're like, who is this dude you're attached to saying all this stuff, dude? Like, tell him that you need to watch his mouth and I'm not watching it. I'm saying what I see because that's what I'm here for. They didn't bring me on the show to just dance around and make polite comments. And I'm a fan of everybody and everybody's great. They brought me on the show because I know what I'm talking about and I'm honest. So I'm going to talk about what I know about, and I'm going to be very honest in getting that point across. So, yeah, you can always find me on Twitter. I'm actually trying to work on a, uh, work on some piece, uh, work on my piece addressing some issues I've had with MMA cornering and uh, just the lack of responsibility that, that they have in these fights, the bad decision-making. They're ruining people's careers and lives by not doing their jobs correctly, and I, for one, am just tired of it. So it's been something I've been trying to work on over a period of time, because anybody who follows me on Twitter knows it's a complaint I always have. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to that. Um, definitely looking forward to seeing that. Uh, you can always find me talking just about everything in sports um, at rgarcia underscore sports. You can catch me there. You can catch a lot of my work being shared there too every day of the week. And as always, you can come back next Wednesday for the next edition of the MMA Ratings Podcast, where Shawan and I will be talking about the sport this is a fight card free weekend so we have the opportunity to do some other things but definitely be sure to come back because i'm sure that there's going to be a big amount of news between today and next wednesday so as always be sure to check out mmaratings.net where you can rank the fights and let us know what you think about each and every event and be sure to catch us next week when we're back talking about the world of mixed martial arts. Shawan, I definitely appreciate you coming on today, and um, everybody have a great night. Good night, guys.